Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Keeping It Arcadia. I'm Sophia. And I'm Joyce, and we're so glad you joined us for another episode. Today, in honor of March, we talked with an all-female group about feminism, representation, and Women's History Month. First, I talked to Leilani Wetero, Vice President of the Girl Up Arcadia Club, which tackles issues like feminism and gender inequality. Basically, Girl Up is it's part of like a parent organization. So Arcadia Girl Up is just a branch of the parent organization called Girl Up, which is a global organization that is partnered with the United Nations. And their goal is essentially to bring gender equality to lots of countries in the world, but specifically countries that suffer the most inequality. So some examples would just be like Ethiopia, Guatemala, India, and just other countries that are dealing with a lot of injustices. And so I personally joined Girl Up because when I entered high school, I was like going to clubs day and I just wanted to be part of clubs that I was passionate about. So I remember just going to the Girl Up booth and I just really liked what they had to say. And I just like have always been pretty passionate about gender equality. And I just, yeah, basically I wanted to be able to contribute to a greater cause. And so for Girl Up, I liked how they gave a lot of examples of just how they are trying to improve like education and healthcare and just safety for girls um, around the world. Currently, Girl Up is also holding a fundraiser to raise money to educate underprivileged children in Indonesia. So we're basically trying to partner with an organization called Just People. And with this fundraiser, with Just People, it's raising money for children in Indonesia to get a preschool education. So with this organization, it's really nice because every $7 provides one month of preschool education. And we're just doing 100% of our profits are going to this cause. So we're not trying to make any profits here. We just thought it would be um, a great cause. And so also, this is a subtle plug. If anybody who's listening would like to contribute, you can, of course, always DM us on Instagram at Girl Up Arcadia, or you just want to give us a follow, check us out. But yes, Girl Up Arcadia. And yeah, so you can participate there. But we already raised about $100. And every $7, like I said, um, is one month of preschool education. In addition to fundraisers like these, during their meetings, they also have fun bonding activities and host presentations about a wide range of topics. We talk about different topics, whether it's sexual harassment, or child marriage in other countries. We just cover a lot of topics. And of course, since it's March, Women's History Month. Women's History Month is incredibly important, obviously because females or people who are not males and everybody essentially is part of this greater issue where there is a lot of imbalance and it's just a system of imbalance towards different genders. Ms. Cordero, one of the women's literature teachers at Arcadia High discusses the importance of Women's History Month and the celebration of women. Even though women are the majority in the world, though women are slightly over 50% of the population, they're still a minority in terms of the way they're treated, especially everywhere, including the United States, but especially in certain parts of the world. And so it's very important that we look at the contributions of women to culture and to society and to literature in the same way that 
there hasn't always been recognition of important groups, not only just in American society, but internationally. Again, women statistically are slightly over half of the global population, but are a minority in terms of their power, in terms of their economic earnings, in terms of the way they've been treated historically and currently. And so it's important to raise awareness and appreciation, therefore, hopefully one leads to the other, of what women do and the creation that women have always brought and the importance of women to everything in life, not just bearing life and raising it, but also advancements in life, things that make life better, things that make life longer, make it worth living. So Women's History Month tries to call attention to all those things. Hopefully we're paying attention as with every other group that has a month or a week. It would be great if we would call attention to those things all the year, you know, but it, until things out a little bit better, we need to call attention to them specifically. And that's what Women's History Month is for. That's what International Women's Day was about back a couple of weeks ago as well. Not only is Women's History Month a month to shine light on amazing women, their achievements, and expose gender inequality everywhere, it's also a month to take a moment and appreciate how far the fight has come and how far we have to go. Women's History Month, it's very extensive, and I would say we basically went through, at least in Girl Up, we made some presentations on the history of feminism, but of course I also want to preface that feminism is only one of the movements and there are also a lot of critiques of feminism. So there's other movements like womanism, etc. So currently people dispute whether we're part of a third wave or a fourth wave. It can be very disputed with like the Me Too movement and just an uprising of women standing up for being sexually harassed or assaulted. And that also started in the 90s with what is known as the third wave. And this started with a lot of people coming forward towards their sexual harassment stories in the workplace. And then that has come to today. And then the second movement, which was before that, that was more like the 1960s and the 1970s. And that was kind of when women were trying to kind of break out of the role of just being a typical quote unquote housewife. And women wanted to actually enter into the workplace and kind of reject this idea that women have to be feminine and just fit into sort of a box. So that is what is known as like the second wave. And by the way, I'm making this very brief. Obviously, there's so much that can be said. But what is before that? Because we want to talk about the most early origins of the feminist movement. And this would be the first wave in about like the 1800s, the mid-1800s, around 1848 ish. And then this is probably what is taught most in like history textbooks. But obviously, there's the Seneca Falls Convention with figures such as Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott. But they created a declaration of sentiments and said that both men and women were created equal. And that started the larger feminist movement. But I also do want to note that there have also been a lot of racism tied into feminist movements which have been called out as of modern day, which I definitely think is very important. Like, for example, around that time, a lot of these people who were white feminists, the white feminists, they used to be allied with the 
movement to have black suffrage too. So the right to vote, that's what suffrage is. So women and black men and black women did not have the right to vote. And they were both fighting for the right to vote. But when the 13th Amendment was passed and the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment went by and black men gained the right to vote, but women still did not have the right to vote, many of the white women turned away from the black men who they were allied with. And they began to just, the women of the North would ally with the women of the South and these being white women. And they chose to prioritize their own right to vote over so much suffering that was still continuing in the black community, such as lynching, etc. So that is something that needs to be noted. And a lot of these figures who used to be very praised are actually very racist figures. Although there have been improvements regarding gender inequality, there is an imbalance between different races of women. Tanya Dance-Kelly, a specialist in technology implementations at Google, notes her observations in the workplace about differences between representation of women between races. At Google, we say plus one, plus one to that. Um, because as we think about the women's initiative within my firm, um, the firm is proud of how far they've come, but they've come that far with white, with actually white women, not women of color. So if you look at, um, and it's not the same issues. And I think um, our, our male colleagues at, at my firm were you know, so impressed we did so well. I'm like, but it's not the same issue. So they think the women's issue has been taken care of because uh, you know, some of the top positions are filled by women in my firm, but uh, they're filled by white women uh, in my firm. And so when you look at the uh, equality, uh, it's just not there. And I think that's uh, starting to come to light because people are thinking that, again, the women's issue has been solved. Well, it's been solved for white women, but not for women of color. However, there are other forms of feminism that recognize these nuances and address different factors within traditional feminist arguments, which I discussed with Leilani. Okay, so I know you guys talked about this in one of your more recent posts, but can you explain the concept of intersectional feminism, as well as maybe touch upon other types of feminism that are less inclusive and why they might be harmful? Thank you for asking. Yeah, this is definitely a topic that I really, really like to talk about. So I could start off by talking about intersectionality itself, because intersectional feminism is definitely one branch of that. So intersectionality is essentially the framework of understanding how different people's identities overlap, which can create different levels of privilege or discrimination. So an easier way to understand this would be like people have different identities, whether it's their sexual orientation, gender identity, their race, their ethnicity, their physical capabilities, stuff like that. And so let's say somebody, like if you were just to compare a man to a woman in society, women would be far more discriminated against and less privileged. But then if you were to look within that and you were comparing someone who is maybe a white American woman versus an Asian American woman, and an Asian American woman would have less privilege. So it's basically looking at the different ways that different identities overlap and it creates different levels of privilege. So yeah, we did talk about that in Girl Up. And so it's kind of ties into what I was talking about a couple minutes ago. But essentially, yeah, one example is just you were saying like different branches of feminism can actually be harmful, which is definitely true. So like I was saying before, like the white feminist movement, even though it's not 
I don't think there's an actual movement that's called the white feminist movement, but feminism itself has mainly centered white voices. So it has become very white in itself. There are other movements such as the womanist movement, which I kind of referenced earlier, which is kind of focusing on, it was created by a black woman and it's focusing more on all women because in the history of feminism, it has been very racist. So womanism was trying to stray away from that. And also there are other movements known as like the black feminist movement and just other movements that are trying to be more inclusive, but definitely within the feminist movement as a whole, it focuses on white women and also just women itself, you know, because some people might be non-binary, some people might be transgender. And often it's just focusing on like cisgendered white women. And that can be very harmful because in the media, a lot of people don't feel represented by these figures that they see. Caitlin Zhou, an Asian American Stanford student, talks about the lack of female representation she felt in the curriculum. I think there's so many revolutionary women figures that we like don't really teach in the classroom as well. And so being able to feel the benefits of like having figures taught that we can look up to and relate to and have been through the same things as us, I think that's really empowering. And I think it's, it's great to have that firsthand perspective on, on what that would feel like. With this lack of representation throughout books, media, and history, I talked to Leilani about the argument for Men's History Month, as well as other criticisms about feminism. Women's History Month is in March, and I saw something that said every March, it's like the only month where searches for Men's History Month soar. So <laughs> can you explain <laughs> your views on the topic or argument for Men's History Month? Well, that's actually very interesting. I've never heard that that happened. I definitely think because the majority of our education and textbooks and books we read are pretty focused on men and men's history and just men are often seen as the quote unquote leaders and like the historical figures. So I would say, I mean, I know I can understand what, where somebody might be coming from. But I think the reason we have Women's History Month is because there's not a lot of representation of women in most media, most history books, most everything that talks about history. It has a very small percentage of women. So creating a history month for women is a way to bring more light on women's issues and women's history. So I definitely would say that Men's History Month I would not necessarily agree on creating that because just a typical history textbook or an average history curriculum is very male dominated. So I'm not so sure that a whole month would need to be created. Oh, do you know who Kristen Leo is? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, she had an interesting video where she said something along the lines of like, she thinks feminism kind of failed at the point where they tried to advocate to enter the workforce instead of getting compensated for all their housework and work at home. Because something she observed, she lives in Greece and it's like a more traditional patriarchal society. Oh, I and actually she said, think I've heard of her. Oh, she said something like it just resulted in double the work for the woman because she's witnessed a lot of families where like both parents would go to work and then come home but then 
the women would have like twice the work because they would have to work for and like a nine to five. But then when they came back, they would have to like take care of the kids and cook and the house and everything. So yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, that that really is interesting. I think I definitely have seen her channel before. Like now that you say it, her name does ring a bell. Wow, that's that's actually a very interesting argument. I think women's lit goes in depth about these topics, but it's only like one of the many English classes offered for seniors. So do you think there should be a separate class that talks about these issues as well as other issues like race? Or do you think that all the curriculum should just be changed? Like, how do you think? Oh, that's actually quite interesting the way you compared those. At first, when you first said, do I think more classes should be created? I was like, yes, definitely. Yes. We need a, another class because we have women's lit. I think we have at Arcadia High School, we have Asian American studies or something like that. I'm actually not sure. I definitely was leaning towards like, yes, we definitely need more classes on racial issues, gender issues, etc. But overall, I do think the end goal should be all curriculum should be inclusive. All curriculum should be intersectional and showing all different narratives, different stories. It's hard. It's really hard to like discuss it because as of now, I do think the steps to getting to that point where the entire curriculum is diverse and inclusive, I think steps might need to be taken first, such as classes that are on it until the entire curriculum can change, if that makes sense. In the perfect world, yes, change it now, make everything change. But I do know how society works and it's difficult to expect as much as we would want. Although these topics aren't widely discussed in the national K-12 curriculum, Arcadia High's women's literature class does talk about issues such as gender, race, and oppression. It's called women's literature, but that's not all that we do, not by a long shot. We talk about gender issues and how gender issues show up in literature, but also in society, in culture, in your music, in social media, in regular media, in history, in just about anything. So it's great for students who want to talk about what's going on in the world, who want to talk about gender issues specifically, but that's not all that we do for people who want to see the connections between what is read in a classroom and what happens out in the world around them. Students are have been working on how women's history specifically impacts the Los Angeles areas. It's one thing to talk about women in history and women in culture and women in literature and all of this, but it's really important for everybody to see it happening around them in their neighborhoods right in front of them. So they've been working on a map project so they can see where specifically here in Southern California and Los Angeles area neighborhoods, we started with Black American women, but we'll move on to Latinas and then we'll move on from there to various other groups where they are and who's contributing to our culture and our history here in our own home. Well, we just finished up studying Octavia Butler's Kindred, talking about snapshots from right here locally. For people who are not familiar, Octavia Butler was a super famous, incredibly important science fiction writer a Black science fiction writer, very, very rare, but extremely important in science fiction writing and in fiction writing in general. And she was from Pasadena. 
And she passed away a few years ago. All of her papers or many of her papers are at the Huntington Library. So students can go and see an exhibit of that. So, and, and the story that we were reading take, starts to take place in Altadena. So these are places that you all know. So, you know, it's good to read literature about something that happens right in front of you. So we just finished that. We're about to, we're taking a break and watching Thelma and Louise and talking about independence and freedom and what that means for women. And then we will be heading to uh, the house on Mongo Street and uh, Real Women Have Curves. And I know that many of you have already read the house on Mongo Street. We're not really looking at it for plot because there's not that much plot. What we're looking for is how Chicana and Latina women specifically are represented by someone of their own culture, how they're represented outside of their own culture. We're also going to obviously need to talk about things that have happened in the past several years having to do with immigration and the way that Latinx are portrayed in the media, in politics, in the social media commentary and how all of that works together and influences culture as well. So there's a lot of interplay between the lit and the history and sociology culture, all, all of the social sciences. We'll go from there to what is misnamed Middle Eastern studies, uh, Mediterranean, Western Asia, Northern Africa. We'll work with Persepolis, which is a graphic novel from Marjan Satrapi, who's an Iranian writer who immigrated to France. And then and we'll do some poetry around that. And then we'll finish up with The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan and Eastern Asian writing, poetry, short story, et cetera, as well. So we're trying to cover the globe. We did a lot of work in the first semester with psychology and nonfiction and trying to set the stage for how we educate women. And this half is all about how women then go with their educations or not and what happens out in the world to them. Women's literature, however, is one of the many English classes offered for seniors at the high school, which means not everyone is exposed to subjects like these. Recently, a movement called Diversify Our Narrative was started with the goal of tackling this lack of diversity within our curriculums. We talked to Jasmine Nguyen, a first-generation Vietnamese-American, and Caitlin Rozeau, a Stanford student, two friends who started this parent movement, which has expanded all across the nation. Um, Caitlin and I with Diversify Our Narrative, it's a nonprofit organization that's entirely youth driven that focuses on racial justice through educational reform. And so we specifically look at the intersections of race and different marginalized identities. And so I think that being a woman has been particularly impactful um, just in that there is a certain power in it. I think that something that we do in our work that we really try to center is the intersection of identities and intersectionality as a whole concept. And so so I think that being not only, you know, an Asian American in this space, but an Asian American woman gives me a unique insight and perspective to do the work that I do and to really push forth communities in the way that we have been continuing to do since we were first founded only a little over a year ago. A lot of our work centers around education and helping folks understand the importance of race and identity. And so the work we do consists of policy advocacy. It consists of uh, working with local school districts and, and chapters to implement uh, anti-racist curricula. It involves like, creating curricula that's anti-racist. And so I think that being able to come from backgrounds, not only as people of color, but as women of color, allows us to better understand those marginalized identities, marginalized identities when we are doing that writing about it and we're doing that educating about it.
There are so many incredibly courageous, educated, and ambitious people with good hearts that are changing the world for the better. But, as Tanya reminds us, it's not nearly enough. We can't, you know, rest and say that we've, you know, done good work and now it's fixed. No, it's just we've opened eyes. We've got to keep pushing against the system and making sure that we, if you see something, say something. There's a ton of work to be done, and it's easy to feel helpless. But challenging societal norms and gender roles is an act of rebellion that can inspire others and ultimately be the first step in change. When I started in technology, there weren't many women in technology, and there definitely weren't many Black women uh, in technology. So um, what I've learned is to um, walk into a room and command the room as if you own it. So um, you may have heard fake it until you make it, which is what I did. So I walked in and I acted very assured and that I knew what was going on and I would figure it out later. But um, I do know that if, uh, if they sensed weakness back in the day, they would think, oh, she shouldn't be here. So I walked into every room uh, acting as if I belonged and eventually I did belong. So um, those are kind of the things that I learned as I grew up in a field where there just weren't many like me at all is that people have preconceived notions. So if you walk in and you, you know, don't play those stereotypes, they learn something new. Like, I think all of you guys are so competent and you guys are so young and there's so much time left for you guys to do something um, with, with all the potential that you have. So just don't underestimate yourself, even though it sounds cliche. I think it's very important. And also I think the, the most important thing that I have learned is like, I think like one of the worst feelings is regret and not doing something. And I think like, if something, if you have an idea and you believe in it, I think you, you, you should try it because even if it doesn't succeed on your first try or doesn't turn out the way you hoped, you'll probably learn something really valuable out of that process. You're very articulate. You're going to go to some amazing schools and have some amazing opportunities. So to me, you're in a great position to be leaders out there in terms of improving things for women, not just here in the United States, not for particular groups who are underrepresented and underserved. And they are. And please, you know, do something about that. Be a good ally. Fight for what's right. But also in the larger global situation, there are a lot of women in countries that don't necessarily want to support women's education or women in economic women in business or earning money that need support and need systems to help them to have similar opportunities for themselves and for their children that you have had and you all with your education and with your opportunities will be able to do that i think also we're seeing a time unfortunately in our own country where there's a lot of discrimination and a lot of hate that's out there and a lot of mistreatment of people unfairly and i think that arcadia students by virtue of growing up in a diverse situation in a diverse school with a lot of different opinions a lot of different backgrounds and again being well spoken and well educated i think that you are uniquely situated to do something about that too and we need you your brains are, as I've told my students a million times, teenage brains are the most creative that exist. Aside from babies who can't talk, you can use it for good. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Keeping It Arcadia. For more information about the Girl of Arcadia Club that Leilani is part of, 
you can visit at GirlUpForKitty on Instagram with the parent branch at GirlUpCampaign. For the Diversify Your Narrative campaign, or DAWN for short, you can visit the Instagram at Diversify Your Narrative or at Diversify Your Narrative Arcadia to get more involved locally. If you like this podcast, please like, comment, and follow AUSD on Facebook and Instagram for more information. We also have a new DCI Instagram account at Arcadia DCI, so you can check that out to get updates on DCI, our work, and get to know us better. You can also visit dciausd.weebly.com for more information and the full list of episodes. This has been Sophia and Joyce with Arcadia High's DCI. Thanks for sticking with us and stay tuned for more coming soon. This is Keep It Arcadia signing off.